I was going to say quick reaction pods, but uh, we're a day late. But partly because Wayne is back from a trip to Birmingham. How was it? Yeah, it was great. I'm going to qualify this because it, I didn't go to Birmingham. I went to Birmingham for the match, but in a roundabout way. So my best mate was over from California, from, from your side of the world. And he spent 10 days over here and we saw a couple of games together. Brilliant time. Uh, he was over for Sheriff West Ham. Then Villa, and he got he managed to get two tickets for the Villa game. It was a train strike, and the guy he was traveling with, they were the, the guy who got two tickets. He tried to get me tickets, I couldn't do that. But being the good, dutiful friend I am, I still took him down. Like, I'm resigned to watching it on a stream anyway because of the fact that they didn't show it in the UK. Telly. So, yeah. so I knew I was going to be watching it on a stream anyway. I thought I'd just find somewhere local to be able to watch it, and I did. I did. I was able to do that. But I I sampled everything else apart from the 90 minutes. And considering the facts that the 90 minutes were probably the worst part of the away day, I think I probably got off lightly. I did sample some of the local delicacy for the first ever time. I've been to Birmingham before. I've been to the Midlands before. Don't get me wrong. It's the first time I've ever... I don't know why I had the curiosity for it, but I wanted to try battered chips. And apparently they're a thing in, in the black country, not Birmingham. And I was being corrected on this multiple times today because I lumbered Birmingham in with it. So I tried the batter chips. I'm still, I'm probably going to need another three showers to get the grease completely out of my yeah, system. Yeah. But yeah, well, the, the actual, when, when in Rome, you've got to do, you've got to, you've got to partake, <laughs> haven't you? You, you yeah. need really batter chips and a balti. No, that's uh, no so bad, bad sausage. I just went, I went, I went in with the oh, bad yeah. double. Yeah. You know what? It was all right. It was fine. I, I won't be having it again. But I've, I've tried it once, and now we've gone a couple of minutes into the podcast, and we're going to have to talk about the worst part of my trip to Birmingham. I'm well, sure. I'm just, I'm just wondering whether this has something to do with United's performance. So, I mean, I, I was thinking before you mentioned it that the reason that United looked so lethargic was probably the fact that they played 10 games in 30 days. It's been one hell of a schedule. But maybe it's because they had double battered sausage the night before. Yeah. And, and that's why they were so leggy. And it's nothing to do with Ronaldo being 400 years old. It's it's because he piled on the carbs. Do you know, you're onto something, Ed, because the way that I feel now, I generally don't feel I could play 90 minutes of Premier League football as a caveat, let, let's put it out there, but especially not 48 hours, 24 hours after having battered chips and a battered sausage, yeah, for sure. Maybe, maybe there's something in that. I, I would suspect they don't have that strong an excuse for the performance. No. I mean, it's, it's one of those games where you... You look through the data afterwards, as I, uh, the sad, the sado that I am, have to pull up all the different data and sources and graphics. And United created quite a lot, had more possession. The the ex, ex expected threat and uh, on chain or chain was was pretty high actually for what felt like a really poor performance. And the the real difference from a data perspective was Villa took their chances and United mm. took nothing of the. Or the very few we created, but really, it's it's not really the story of the match, is it? The story of the match, I think, was the defensive errors that allowed Villa to, even though they actually didn't create very much, to uh, to rack up three goals against us. And we think about the three goals. I mean, the first goal is just mental. Victor, I've watched it about twenty times now. 
Victor Lindelof just wanders into midfield. Mm. <laughs> Villa just pass around him. I was like, what? I mean, 100% guarantee that if Rafa Varane had been in the side, that goal doesn't happen because he's just yeah. much more disciplined. Yeah, yeah. No, and I, I then. Uh, and then the third, the the free kick goal. I mean, of course, it's 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 two levels are particularly dumb there. One is the free kick, and then United gave them about fifteen yards of space. So it's, it was just absolutely incredible how deep the wall was and didn't need to be. Uh, and uh, obviously, it's beaten Dave at the wrong side. Uh, but anyway, sorry, I'm rambling on about just how poor defensively United are. But we could do forty five minutes on that alone. Well, we will, I, I suspect. Yeah. yeah. Do you know, yeah, I think that's it. The first sort of 15 minutes, they, they weren't great. The, the first goal in particular. I mean, the free kick's a free kick. And, you know, I'm not saying it was a great strike and nobody covered themselves in glory in that. But, I mean, it's a, it's a dead ball strike. Sometimes they go in, you, you've got to sort of hold your hands up with that yeah. to some extent, as avoidable as the, the, it was for the reasons that you've just mentioned. But the, the, it was the first goal because Lindelof is pulled massively out of position. And this is a this is the problem that I have with the team. Like, let's all... Sit down, calm down a little bit. We've had 24 hours to digest it, much like the battered sausages. Um, <laughs> and it's not sitting well, is it? Yeah, it's still not very palatable. No, no. But you were saying at the start, and I, you know what? I hadn't put the defeat into the same perspective as you did in, in the perspective of the number of games that we've played in a period of time. So I think that it's fair to say that the quality of performances has decreased in that period of time. It's yeah, a progressive yeah. decrease and a progressive decline, or at least decrease in terms of quality and quantity of chances. We've still created, we've still dominated some games, like the West Ham game, for example. But the the actual quality of it wasn't there. Like Sociedad, we we pretty much dominated that away from home. But second, he made the changes, he changed the pattern. Like you said, on on the data, it looks like we dominated at Villa Park, but the evidence of of your eyes tells you something quite different. Still, still a very important data source. Eyes. No, yeah, 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 they're pretty good. Yeah, decreasingly relevant, but yeah. So there's the the thing that really got me was the the, the individual performances because what we've seen this season, and we've all got to be fair about the way that we analyze this, is that because all of this, all of the squad that Tenog inherited, we we would have written off. We would have said, all right, well, they're not going to be in a team that wins a title, but they get a reprieve and they get a second chance, and and we, all of us. Every fight, I mean, we've definitely done it a couple of times on this pod. We've looked at the players who've improved under Tenorg and we've said, all right, they've stood up. They've shown more, much more backbone than what we thought they were capable of. Now, the difference in these kind of games against Aston Villa, because you definitely can't say that they, they weren't trying, you can't question the effort or anything like that. But it, this is where it becomes a level of, I guess, aptitude, because you're looking at the players and you're saying, all right, They've they've proven that they're good enough to be in a United squad that challenges for the top four, but you've yeah. always got that ceiling issue with the likes of Delo, with the likes of Lindelof, with the likes of Shaw, and and other players that could go on, where they're not going to take you to that next level. And that's not a massive criticism because I think to come from where they were seven or eight months ago to still be at the club and for us to be talking about them in in a useful way, I think is is commendable for them. But that's the the thing, and they, they can get turned over in a game like they were at Aston Villa, and it is. Like, yeah. You meant you mentioned that area of defence, and it's important to highlight that because that was the one area yesterday that we were we were left in a lot of problems because Van der Beek played over that side replacing Fernandez. Rashford yep. was on the right, 
Dallo and Lindelof. So you've got five players who weren't brought in by Tenog. Now, I'm not just picking those five players out for the sake of it, but that's where the errors came from. And as soon as the errors started, they didn't. They weren't sort of covering themselves. They weren't standing up in the way that we've seen them do that lately. Normally, because they've had someone to sort of point them in the right direction, normally a Tenog oh, yeah. signing. I mean, look, but I, I think you're. I think you're right to point out those changes and and the impact it had. I mean, look, the the third goal we didn't mention was a third man run, and I, I think if Donny hadn't been there and it was it was either Bruno or McTominay or Fred in there, there'd have been a, a much greater chance of someone tracking that third man run. So I think you can tie the changes to the errors for sure. I mean, we should talk about Donny Van de Beek. I mean, he's he's, I think, not had a good game for the club. Ever. Mm. Like yeah, not saw, a full I, 90. Yeah, you, you <laughs> and, tweeted and, that and I agree. I, I, and and yeah, I don't, I don't want to, I'm not trying to like create a pylon or anything like that. It's it's just, I think I just, I can't, I can't remember one. And he comes into a game with a side, with a brand new manager who went off like they'd all done an eight ball of Coke, like absolutely <laughs> mental intensity from Aston Villa in the first like 20, 30 minutes, uh, and and obviously which they didn't sustain for the full 90, but it, it gave them like a building block and the two goals to to win the game. You know, and, and I think that's probably yeah. a mistake from Ten Hag to have picked Donny for that reason. And, and McTominay or Fred would have given United a level of intensity to try and match Villa. And look, again, Ten Hag is learning his players. He's learning the squad. He's learning the right combinations. He's barely had any time with Van der Beek because he's been injured, and he obviously trusts him from mm. his time with Ajax nearly three years ago now, when Van der Beek was last relevant as a footballer. So yeah, there's all context to this. It, it, in hindsight, it looks like a mistake. Ten Hag has made very few mistakes in his time with United. Yeah, that that Not probably really. was one. The composition of the midfield against City was probably a mistake too, but hardly any. And then I think I think we do have to factor the number of games, but particularly how intense that Real Sociedad game was for a Europa League game. When's the last time there was a game that really meant something and United really went at it in the Europa League? I mean, it's a long time, really. Yeah. Most of them just don't count for much and no one cares much. And and that was great crowd. And United had to be at it for the full 90 against a tough opposition. Not the best, but a tough opposition. I think that probably played into just how leggy United felt as well. And and then you have Ronaldo up front. And the press starts from the front with United. It should do. And he can't do it because age, inclination. And he's played, is that four 90s in a row? Ronaldo has now played since he's been back into the team. It's something like that. Yeah. Uh, I think they all factor in. Yeah. No, I think the, the the point you made about Donny's fair as well because I mean, look, he's had two full games now, and two full games isn't fair evidence. But we're talking about two years of evidence, and I saw I did see you tweet that yesterday, and it was something that's been on my mind since like that he hasn't had a good game for the club, and it is it's sad because it's true, and you you've pretty much got a similar dilemma to what you had with Paul Pogba, like the midfield area of any football club is the area where your most skilled players are meant to be because they're the most multifunctional. They're supposed to cover all ranges of areas. Back in the... I know I don't want to sort of all come back to the 90s and stuff like that, but it's a good example. The midfielders that we had in, in the 90s could play in defence. You know what I mean? You would move them around. Keane regularly played at right back. You would have... the Lee Sharp would play at left back. They weren't... Claire would play up front in the midfield. So you had all this kind of multifunctionality 
Whereas today with the midfielders, I know that you have specialists and they, it just baffles me that you're going to have a player who's talented and he's theoretically talented enough to thrive in a system with Ten Hag because he's played under him before and Ten Hag knows him. So he knows what to expect of him when he's playing these certain roles. And I guess in this situation, he's playing the role that he's he was kind of bought for to be a sort of foil for Fernandez or a replacement for him. Yeah, And, and yet... It's the same conversation as we were having with Paul Pogba. You know that that player's got talent, but they, they just don't fit into that midfield for whatever reason. And they, and and it's not through want of trying them in different positions or like Pogba had extended roles in the, the run that he wanted, in the area of the team that he wanted, and he's still flattered to deceive. Van der Beek's had that as well. And it, it isn't working. I just hope that we cut our losses very quickly for his sake as well as ours, because you're just going to end up with a similar situation with Pogba where nobody will want him, he's going to go for nothing, and there's just no point continuing the relationship because he, he, looks, completely, right. he looks completely lost. And yeah, the, the other the problems that you mentioned as well, it is, it is difficult in terms of, to, to go back to that right-hand side that I was talking about earlier, the combinations in this United team under Tenaga are obviously very important. And when those combinations are players who... He didn't bring in. There was no one to tie that in. No, and I don't know why the signings seem to be so important, or or even Fernandez to be fair, because he's stood up and been a little more. I don't know what the word conscientious with his play or something. A little bit more pragmatic with the way that he's tried to pragmatic. Sort of, yeah, yeah, he's definitely been safer. Yeah, um, uh, with Donny in terms of the next phases of his career. I mean, I suspect he'll stay at United till the end of the season. I know he went on a loan last season, but I, I'm sure that I'm sure that Ten Hag will want to see him in the team and see whether it works. But I, I think United are going to end up taking a big loss on him, partly because his contract's running down, but partly because the only country in Europe with any money is the Premier League. And everyone's seen him in the Premier League and seen him fail in the Premier League. So unless you get someone like dumb, like, I don't know, Everton or something like that, and they, but they wouldn't because they've had that relationship yeah, with him. But yeah, you, yeah. You, you, yeah, you know what I mean? Uh, then then there's probably no market in the UK. So I, I, I suspect that's a, a difficult one. Maybe we should use him as a part trade-in for someone from the area division, of which United are apparently looking at a few potential options. I mean, what, what really got me thinking, actually, as we finished the game was just how much United would benefit from a forward. And, and I know we can't always go back to say, hey, the transfer market's the, the solution to everything. But unless we can somehow miraculously get Martial fit or Ronaldo younger or Rashford more consistent, then there's a big there's there is a big hole in this team for for what a regular goal scorer who is able to lead the press from the front, which is what Ten Hag wants needs, yeah. or or he finds another option. I mean, I, I actually thought United missed Anthony quite a bit against Villa because they miss his intensity. He he is aside from. His ability to sort of break a play apart the play because he runs with the ball and carries the ball. He is intense in the press and his defensive yeah. work is diligent. And so I thought United missed him, even if he's not particularly consistent with his final ball yet. Yeah. Uh, so it's anyway, I end up thinking about that. Less than the the defense was a mess, but I actually think that's the biggest area of improvement in in United under Ten Hag. Anyway, he's still pretty much sorted that out. If again, if we can wrap. Varane in cotton wool and keep him fit for the second half of the season. United won't concede many goals and will probably be in the top four. If he's broken and we can't, and it's Maguire and or Lindelof alongside Martinez, then we're going to concede goals. Yeah. More goals anyway. Yeah. 
It's, I don't know. You're right in terms of the, the defence being the, the key area of improvement and Saturday aside, Sunday aside, we shouldn't sort of lose focus of that because if certainly they've been a lot better and you could attribute that to the fact that there was only Martinez in, like Malassia didn't start and Varane wasn't there so the first, some of the first choice wasn't there and it did it did make a difference and obviously the protection that Dallo had on the right he said you were right with Anthony but also Fernandez as well or even a McTominay or a Fred they would have a little bit more positional yeah not, not responsibility but fluency with the play because they're, they're more in sync with what with the way that we've been playing and the awareness that they've got of the players around them. And yeah, Anthony's a, a, a key loss. I, did, I do have a little bit of sympathy for Tenaga at the weekend because he was kind of hamstrung in, in the forward three that he could pick. So Garnacho played and he was, he was the best of the three. He was a little bit direct, not perfect, probably struggled a, a little bit more at Villa Park than he did in Sociedad, but he was pretty good. And I go back to the, the point you were making about Martial because the point is it goes back to these squad players that the Tenogs inherited and you were wondering if they we should get rid of all of them. Martial's kind of in that ballpark. Yeah. The thing is, what's crazy about it, the changing system, the way that Tenog wants to play, you've seen the improvements. So when Rashford, I'm just going to say the names for the sake of it just because they're the first ones that come to mind. They're the ones that I remember in pre-season. Rashford, Sancho and Martial, when they were all playing together, they seemed to have a, a really good fluency and vibe. So take aside the fact that Rashford's playing poorly and Sancho's playing poorly. Once you've got them all in combination with each other, as long as the fit... And this this leads me on to the next point about what you said about Martial basically being so brittle as he is. The point isn't about replacing a Ronaldo in terms of stature or replacing a Martial. It's just Martial's a really good example that you don't have to have the best striker in the league. You just have to have someone who's got similar attributes and he's going to make a massive difference. If he's quick on the ball, he's brave. Uh, and Martial's not all these things. He's not particularly massively aggressive. But if you get a player like that, it, it helps the way that Rashford plays because if you give Rashford too much time on the ball, He's not making wise decisions. He's, he's a very good instinctive player. But that's the way that Tenag wants to play, really. He's been forced to play in this slow, deliberate way because of the qualities of the players or, or lack of qualities of the players around him. And he's like, yeah. like I've said early, earlier in the in the season, I've been a little bit more, I don't know what the word, patient with Ronaldo because of the fact that I saw someone who was willing to try and fit into it, what Tenag was trying to do. And I'll always forgive a player who tries, even if they're not able to do it, because at least they try it. Now, there are a lot of different problems with Ronaldo that, that factor into it as well. But it's obvious that even even with that willingness, it's not good for the team anymore. And if it's not good for the team, then, then there's no point in continuing with it. Yeah, I mean, look, totally, Ronaldo is a, a real challenge for United, and it looks like he's here till the till the end of the year. He's been reintegrated into the side. Clearly, him and Ten Hag have come to some kind of agreement. Uh, part of it, I believe, was him agreeing to like train with the squad and not do personal training sessions, which is what he was doing. Uh, yeah, that, I mean, unbelievable, really. This was something that uh, grown under Ollie as well. And Paul Pogba was doing it as well, having his own fitness sessions away from the squad. So yeah, no, not not uh, yeah. And Ten Hag seems to be really and correctly focused on building a team ethic here. 
So not to dive off into something different, but but if Ronaldo's part of the squad, it's a real challenge if he's also the main man all of the time. Because I, I don't honestly not to bash on him completely, but is there another club? In the well, definitely not in the top six, but in the top half of the table that would want him in the team right now. Well, it's hard not, to think I mean, of one. Not even, yeah, not even there. I mean, because again, I don't, I don't want to do that either because he's been one of my favourite players, and I, I, we've talked at length about his return before. I still, I'm happy that he, he came back, and I've, I've witnessed the things that I've seen him do. But let's be realistic about it, and I think he's facing it in a more confronting way than probably at the start of the season. He's, he's sort of realising that it's his body that's the major part of the problem and not the team, not the functionality of the team. And you can have minor grumbles. I mean, Ten Hag over the last week, and I'll back him in everything. I'll always back the manager anyway. He's probably made one or two hasty calls this this past week. Uh, we've not seen even this. You mentioned the City formation earlier. And I would let him off with that on account of the fact that he was still integrating Casemiro and he was giving McTominay enough rope and Casemiro came in and improved it and that was the moment for that change to happen. Yes, it lost a game of football, but the bigger picture is we were probably going to lose that anyway and it's a long-term kind of thing and it's been for the long-term benefit. Over the last week, we've probably not seen that as much because he, he was a little bit hasty with the decision against Real Sociedad going too early with the the gamble and then you could question his selection, although his hands were kind of tied with the front line. You could still question some of the decisions, i.e. picking Van der Beek. But overall, first of all, I'm not going to begrudge him taking that gamble because he's probably earned one or two wrong decisions considering the fact that pretty much everything I've agreed with so far anyway. And secondly, it's not about Ronaldo. It's Manchester United. It's not about any individual. It's not even about Ten Hag in a way, but Ten Hag's the one driving driving the, the car. He's the one steering the ship. He's the one saying it's about a culture. It's about an ethic where you're all working together. And really, that was a massive, massive problem that United have faced for four or five years. And the mm-hmm. word that we've said so many times on this podcast is accountability. And Ten Hag's addressed that. So even if he makes one or two errors... The point is that all of the the work that he's doing goes towards that that accountability, and the players are responding to that. So it doesn't matter if we or right if you lose a game of football, which we are, which we have done, and we're talking about. We can criticize the performances and the decisions made in that game of football. We can criticize the manager for his selections because that's what we do as supporters. But the general direction, yep. we're completely still completely on board with. I don't have any reason to sure. question him, and even the, the I one agree. thing. Possibly the one thing that I, I li- have a little grumble with is making Ronaldo captain because he could have easily have dodged that one by giving it De Gea because De Gea's had some records lately. He's passed an appearance record. He's, he's been playing really well. Just give him the armband for 90 minutes. Stop. But it just seemed like a very... You can go one or two ways. Giving Ronaldo is going to create a lot of negative headlines. There's not really a, a positive side to that. You don't. You're not forced to give him the armband. And if you do... And he plays poorly like he has been doing. It creates a bigger headline like it has done. And but these are minor grumbles. I think that overall his fingers on the pulse. So yeah, I look. I, I'm I'm all on board the Ten Hag train. I think this is a, a the best step forward that the club has made in quite some time. And he is driving it. And that's right. And I hope in the future that there's a structure around him that will 
get us the right players, they'll manage the squad in a way that is right, they'll sell the players when we need to sell the players and all of the stuff around the manager that has to happen. I I, uh, tweeted out a piece Swiss Ramble put on Twitter earlier today, which was top uh, clubs for uh, receiving money from transfers in Europe. Uh, Benfica are top 700 and something million. I think Chelsea were second, very close behind. United were bottom of that league. Last five years, income receipts of 110 million or something like that. I'm probably getting the numbers not exactly right, but... Those kind of orders of magnitude, and and this is part of that is poor squad management, the fat squad, the heavy asset squad, that no one gets sold, even though they complete, they're completely fail, failing, and this is all the support structure that needs to be around Ten Hag. I mean, to write, buy the right players, sell the right players, give contracts to the players based on their performances and their value to the club, and I think most of that is going in the right direction, and Ten Hag has been right at the centre of trying to change some of that now. Over the longer term, we'll see, right? Wish I knew the future because I'd be straight out of the bookies to to bet on United coming sixth or seventh this season or whatever it's going to be. But <laughs> sorry, that's a joke. But uh, but at least that that managerial part, I, I I feel pretty confident that we've got a good guy there who knows what he's doing, and he's he's made a few mistakes. Who doesn't? Yeah. I don't well, necessarily. It, I know that this this I, might be sorry to interrupt. Ted, just no, go ahead. I don't look. I'm completely on board with you, and everyone will know this in terms of the ownership and the ownership ownership structure, the way that it cripples the club and the way that it handicaps the club. But they still, and we've talked about this before as well, they've still got the resources to be able to challenge if they're managed in the right way. And we can see obvious impacts of management in terms of Tenarg. We can analyse those changes and decisions until the cows come home. The, the stuff that's off the pitch is a much more opaque kind of thing. You can't really assess that until like one or two years down the line until a transfer window's gone and you say, well, this is how they handled this, this is, this is how they handled that. And then the longer structural kind of things, we, we can only address, depending on what we hear from the people that we're hearing it from, those kind of things. You can't really... I, I think under the impression that you can give people a chance and... There's still an ownership structure that handicaps at a certain extent, but it, it still allows the club to challenge if the ownership is right and the decisions are right, like you're talking about the direct impact on the squad in terms of the bloatness of it and, and economising that and streamlining it, all those kind of things. If those smart decisions are, are taken, obviously the likes of Murtagh and Arnold, they can't do anything immediately to um, address the debt. Do you know what I mean? They can they can make business decisions and contributions towards that, but the debt is the debt. It's anchored onto the club, and that's the result of the owners. Now, you can't just chastise everyone who's employed by the club in a way that it's saying, oh, blah, 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 you're contributing to its downfall. You have to be reasonable at some point and say, are you working towards something that's positive? If Are you making a positive contribution? Like, we looked at Edward Wood, and we, we were saying that's a man out of his depth for a decade. Do you know what I mean? And we, we've got the evidence right. that suggests that. Whereas we don't have that yet with these people. And it's a new slate. As much as it grates me as well to sort of say, you've got to give these people a chance. Well, we don't have any choice in the matter. So you might as well give them some in a year if it goes tits up. Then we'll be talking about how we got tits up. But there's no point in sort of being critical at every step because you can still take missteps along the way. Like we're saying about Ten Hag, 
the last four or five days he's took a couple of missteps. It's only a win by not the two goals we wanted in, in the grand scheme of things, or losing at Villa Park, which, all right, hasn't happened since 1995, but it's still not the, the tragedy. It wasn't losing 4-0 yeah, yeah. against Liverpool or 5-0 against Liverpool like last season. We It was disappointing to lose in the manner in which we did, but at least you look at it and say, all right, we wouldn't normally play that bad if we had the right players and everything like that. There were mitigating circumstances for it, and we still believe we're moving in the right direction. And and a chance to put some things right in the next week or so. Like we've got a League yeah. Cup game against Villa coming up on Thursday. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there'll be some changes. It's not going. I, well, actually, we'll, we'll find out where Ten Hag's head is at. But the League Cup, given that Manchester City are going to win the league, probably we're certainly not. The the yeah. League Cup is a is a route to a trophy, right? It's a it's a relevant route to a trophy, and I I suspect it will take it fairly seriously. So there'll be some changes, but I don't know whether it's going to be eight, nine, ten changes might have happened in the past. And then there's Fulham after that. So two games to go into the World Cup with a sense of momentum, which we have built over the last couple of months. Undoubtedly, step back on against Villa, but I think there are, there are some mitigations with the, the level of, of, of the schedule recently. I, I, I'm not too concerned about that. The, the overall direction is pretty positive Got two chances now to to go into the break with with some a little bit of momentum, even albeit a five week break in which we're going to have to do pre season again, have a couple of pre season friendlies in order to get back into the flow. Yeah, but it, it's football's funny like this, isn't it? Because you know the next two results are going to have a mass a massive determination on on the mood of the club, sure, the, the yeah. way that people perceive what's happened. I mean. Tenog League Cup aside, you know what I mean? They're not going to be looking at it as a, a oh, it's the League Cup, it's United. If they lose the game, United have lost two games in a row. And if they lose against Fulham, they've lost three games in a row. And it's a very negative slant to go in. And look, we lost against Villa, so we can't take that team for granted, especially if we make changes. We we don't know what we're coming up against with Fulham, but Fulham are very good, surprisingly good. At the way that they've come back into the Premier League, they've given Liverpool a great game, they've given City a great game. They're in seventh. They are in the table. They're playing fantastic football. So, but but the other way, I, I'm saying I'm saying oh, this could be a very negative sort of slide into into this sort of mid season break that we're going to have. But if you win the two games, then it's a very very po- where all that positivity is back like, immediately. It's restored with the value of a couple of wins and a couple of good performances. And we know that with returning players. That can easily be the case. I mean, Anthony should be back. We he's probably going to get a game before before the break. Fernandez is definitely going to be back. So these players are going to make a difference once they're in the side. And they'll probably we've seen the one thing we have seen under this Ten Hag era in a very short space of time is that they're very good responders. And we didn't always say that about United in the past. So it'll be very interesting to see the next couple of games because it's a big one for Ten Hag as well. A big period. It is actually the, the response in the past would have been to post something, some kind of apology on social media, and then really get no bounce back at all. So it's, I yes, I, there's some character here. There's surprisingly some character in the players we thought who had none, and and there's some credit for Ten Hag for for building that kind of sense of of determination into this squad. So yeah, I think we'll see a pretty strong side against Villa on Thursday. Obviously, some changes. Um, be interesting to see if we ha- see Garnacho again. He's had two games in a row now. He wasn't very good against Villa. He was more positive against 
Real Sociedad, but Xolo Xoratere was on the bench at the weekend. We might see him. There's Is Ahmed alive? Oh, no, he's out on loan. He's yeah, on loan. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, we won't see him. Yeah, he's out on loan. Sheffield United, isn't he? So, well, yeah. We, 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 we've got a couple of the 23s that may come in, but it's it's really, it's a thinner squad than it used to be. Palestra, maybe? I mean... Yeah, Palestra, he's been on the bench every every single game, hasn't he, without actually seeing the pitch at all? Well, yeah. I feel I'm not as critical as Ollie on all these transfer decisions as most people are. But that's summer 2020. And by the way, I'm not, I, I don't even know how much that was, Ollie, because we were sold. I, don't get me wrong. I, even the club in the, the financial state they were in, obviously, coronavirus was something very different. So when they were saying it was going to impact everything, obviously, you understood why. So if we weren't going to spend a lot, such and such. But then we had that terrible start to the season. And all this talk they were they were putting out about long term planning, they did all the panicking right at the end of the, the window. And I, even Cavani, all the players that they've signed, none of I mean, are the club in would they've been in a worse position if none of them had signed? Because I, I'm not being I don't want to be cruel to the players, but Van der Beek, he could have he would have been better off staying well, away. They made zero impact, so I mean, C- completely. Cavani right. was a fan favorite for a bit, but would it really have mattered if he was not at United? I mean, Zlatan. You can say, all right, he had a good 18 months and we were glad to see him at United. I'm glad that that happened. Cavani, am I that fussed? Would I rather have seen another kid get a chance? Probably. Do you know? And, and then the others, Ahmad, Palestra, Tellers, Tellers. I mean, Tellers, the best contribution Tellers made was making sure better for six months. It's like... Malassia <laughs> well, did that for a little bit until until Shaw's form fell off a cliff at the weekend yeah no, look look you i mean totally right there's there's been some real duds but it's it's the ones that are really late in the window that look like a panic that have come off worse and palestrian amad that is 30 million euros of guaranteed spending and up to 50 million well amad's never going to make all those no, metrics because no he, he's never he's never playing but uh, i mean extraordinarily large amount of spending which Apparently, he was based on all this scouting and all this data, and you just wonder, like, who, why, yeah, who signed, yeah. Yeah, or who and why. I mean, Ahmed had that one moment where he is against Milan, wasn't it? He scored yeah, against there, Milan, there, there. and yeah. that is about it. And Palestri, we've not seen. I mean, he's been much better for Uruguay than he has been for for United. So, yeah, some b- really bizarre stuff, and that, that's when we talk about the infrastructure around the club. It's not yeah, just the. It's not just the the financial side of it is how you structure it below. And now United have something that looks like a modern system with Andy O'Brien supporting John Murtagh and, and the director of football department being much more professional than it used to be. All the scouting reporting up to there and, and the analytics as well. We'll see the fruits of that eventually, but maybe we won't get... And hope, and like if we see the fruits of it, hopefully we won't get too many like Palestri and Ahmad who cost millions and millions and, and offer nothing. Maybe, maybe you'll see Palestri on Thursday night and he'll score a couple of beauties and we're like, ah, there's the player we <laughs> spent all that money on. <laughs> maybe. What what a little diversion from, from yeah. the normal topics. I'm sure you've got a set plan out there to talk, but I'm going to ask you a question. We've played Villa a million times in the Cup. What's your favourite yes. memory of a, a Villa game in the Cup? Oh, Christ. My favourite yeah, memory. It took you a while to go through game. them all. 
oh no. Paul used to throw questions to me like this and I was like, God, I really, this is when I feel old because I can't think of a favourite memory against Villa in the cup. I can think of a couple of crackers at Villa Park. That's a different thing. Yeah. Go on, give me yours and while I'm thinking about it. Well, I'm, I'm, the first one that comes to mind is the 2-0 down, Van Nistelrooy. Um, that, obviously, that was at Villa Park. And most of the games that we play in the Cup with Villa, I've been at Villa Park. There was... <laughs> we've, we've had a few semi-finals there as well, haven't we? We would have got Villa in... My yeah, my favourite Villa one is the one that didn't happen when we should have drawn them in 2000 as holders of the Cup. It was Villa... They were the ones who got the bye, weren't they? They were the ones who would have been drawn right. to play against us. 2007, did we play them in the Cup? Ronaldo, Rooney scoring on the way to, to Wembley. And obviously there's a, a bunch of semi-finals that we could talk about as well that didn't include Villa, but lent as their ground to play them on. I will I think the Van Nistelrooy one for me where we were a goal down and uh, two two goals down and then God that was one of the maddest conclusions to a game. Fifteen minutes left, two 0 down and I, I guess that was when we were really spoiled. We can be losing with ten minutes to go and you still think, oh yeah, we're gonna win this game. That was that United all over, but that was even that for, for that United team it was something different that game. You you don't remember the nineteen fifty seven FA Cup final then? <laughs> slip right. Yeah, I'm not that old. So it just slipped out of your memory. Yeah, yeah. 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 I, that would have been a fun one. The goalkeeper got battered into the net. Do you know that's not a fun <laughs> one? <laughs> oh, I've got I have got a good story about that though. Go so, on. Yeah. So Ray McParland was the one who battered Harry Gregg into the net. Oh, Ray right. Wood in Ray Wood into the net. Two good stories from this. Two good. Uh, so the first one is Ray Wood damaged his cheekbone. He was. Uh, he came off at half time. Oh, he came off in the first half, and he was taken to the car park outside outside Wembley to sort of have some smelling salts, to do a, a bit of training to see if he was fit enough to go back in goal in the second half. He wasn't, but there were some kids who were playing on a on one of the cinder pitches nearby, and they asked Raywood if he wanted to join in playing with them. <laughs> They're like, hey, "Excuse me, Mister, do you want to play football with us?" He's like, "No, I've got to go back and play on the left wing as a." Handicap winger for the second half. So Cracking. There, there was that story. But Ray McParland was the guy who, who broke. He was a Villa forward and he broke Ray Wood's cheekbone. So a few years later, he's the manager of Shelbourne. I think it's Shelbourne. Oh, it might be England Torren. I'm pretty sure it's Shelbourne. Sammy McElroy is a kid. His dad was a massive fan and would take him every week. And he was saying, you're going to play for them. It was Shelbourne, it must have been. So... He had a trial with them. Raymond Paulin was the manager. And he was like, well, you're going to be really good here. And to try and sort of entice him, he said, I'll give you a pair of good boots, really your first proper pair of football boots. So Sammy had them. He had this trial, impressed by all accounts, and they wanted to sign him. They knew of the interest from England. There was loads of clubs interested, obviously, because he was a, a precocious talent. And he was aware of the interest from Paul. And he said, look, why don't you sign for us for a year? And then you'll be doing something that your family wants and also we'll make some money because we'll sell you after a year, we'll let you go, but then you'll be helping us and we're not going to stand in your way. And obviously Sammy had the offer from United. He's not going to turn that down. So he said, I'm sorry, I'm not going to, I'm not going to um, take the offer. And then McParlin says, all right, but will you bring the boots back then? <laughs> Basically, told him to bring the boots back. <laughs> the cheeky get. Well, it's fifty years ago, but a completely different world, isn't it? So, yeah. 
So yeah, they're, they're my two stories. Both, both. I, I love the one of him going outside with a broken neck, and uh, the kids going, "Hey, <laughs> you fancy a kick around, Mister?" So yeah, what what a world. Um, I wasn't. I, 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 I wasn't alive for it, like Ed implied. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> sure, sure thing, Wayne. Sure, <laughs> sure. <laughs> this is a podcast, and no one knows that the. I completely managed to avoid answering your question, but the the comeback with Vanessa Ray is a good shout. By the way, have you seen how rude looks these days? That man is handsome. Mm. I mean, yeah. he is. He is a. He's a stunning and, looking man, and he's got wit that would make him a great podcast host as well the the joke that he made about ending arsenal's unbeaten run oh god yes fuck it to my veins oh <laughs> funny as well Well, his 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 team's doing pretty well at the moment so we'll we'll see how he does it maybe future united manager yeah, that dutch lineage will continue with rude can you imagine that rude back as manager one i've never oh. ever contemplated but imagine that oh I'm getting excited. Can we just sack Ten Hag and bring Rude in now? I'm joking. Well, yeah, I'm joking. I, we, we'd, we'd find out whether Rude's relationship with uh, Ronaldo's been repaired or whether they're still uh, <laughs> still looking for fifty cuffs on the training field. <laughs> so, all right, I, I reckon that's it for the week. Backers will be back midweek with some European chat. Perhaps we'll uh, we'll do a deep dive into United versus Barcelona, which is going to be the European Europa League playoff game how inevitable was that we all yeah. called it we knew it'd happen we knew if United didn't go to Real Sociedad and score twice that we'd get Barcelona I'm not saying it's rigged but I'm not saying it's not rigged either yeah make your well, own minds up I I did the podcast with Paul live this morning so and that was sort of 10 a.m so a good couple of hours before the draw and I said it's definitely Barcelona so you can go back and if people uh, yeah we're all calling it we're all calling it there's documented yeah. evidence it, it, it wasn't a brave call was it to be honest yeah <laughs> I, I do like the quote from Xavi who uh, on seeing the draw said it's the worst possible draw we could get maybe mm, he's being nice yeah, um, maybe a little bit. specifically called out Ten Hag as, uh, as leading United's revival so we might have lost this week but we're scaring Barcelona folks <laughs> <laughs> we're back <laughs>